All right. Well, um, I would love to hear what you thought. I already told you that. Um, what, I already told you what I th- what I think when I think about God's glory, which is Tennessee football. What do you think about what comes to mind? Maybe what stories in Scripture, um, what things of this world? Would you, Would you say to your fellow classmates around you? Things that, that manifest and, and reflect back to who he is and his power and all that. Yeah. I Yeah. Yeah. So um, pictures of of um, well, lightning is, is one picture we get when the uh, when Mary and Mary go to the tomb of just this brightness and this this glory, the Shekinah glory that we hear of the cloud and the and the temple in the Old Testament. Probably get more into that next week. What else? Okay, now that is a huge leap, which is a good one. Uh, that 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 there there's a glory that we understand of that he shares with us, and that somehow this leads to that second question: Does glory only come from God, or do we give God glory? It's a trick question. It's a trick question. You got it. Okay, let's close in prayer. Yeah, it is. Um, so what we're gonna find out is. Is both of those are true. Glory only comes from God. Um, but part of the way that he has set up his own glory is that we might reflect that and give him glory too through our works, through our, our personhood. Actually, without even doing anything, we give him glory because we're made in his image. So we'll talk about that too. Um, it'll, be, it'll be important though, as we'll see as we move along here, um, especially as we look, we're going to look into the historical theology. I love historical theology. I don't, I don't know if you do or not, but what, what did the church say about these things throughout the, the centuries? That uh, the church, up until this past century, um, always rooted God's glory internally in himself before they ever began to talk externally about his glory, which is a lot of the ways that we talk about God's glory is externally. You know, we... We, we do things for the glory of God. We, we look at His creation and that kind of thing. And, and, and what's interesting to find out is that the church, uh, in church history and, and theologians that have um, gone throughout the years, uh, didn't, didn't or don't talk about that external glory as much as we do today. Although it's there, and they acknowledged it, and we'll see, we'll see that from Calvin as well. Um, but they were so, so quick, and I think we can learn something from this today, so uh, quick to make sure we rooted all those things in his internal glory. So we're going to talk about that today. All right. All right. So you have your hand out there. Um, I put for you some some classic uh, texts there, uh, along with the Indiana Jones quote, of course, um, and uh, that, that refer to God's glory. I love that scene in The Last Crusade, if you're familiar with it, when he's chasing on the, the boat scene. Right. And it's being chopped up by the blade. And I use this in a sermon. I don't know if y'all have had the privilege of hearing this illustration in that sermon yet, but 
Indiana Jones is about to die, or he's about, he's holding that guy down, and the guy that's the protector of the the covenant or the 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 Grail looks at him and says, you know, why do you seek the cup of Christ? Is it for His glory or yours? Beautiful. I can't put it any better than that. Uh, I think that's something that we could ask ourselves as we go into this topic: is uh, why do we do things for God? Why do we uh, care about God's glory? Um, when we think about, again, I'll go back to those phrases, the internal glory of God, that's just who He is, versus the external glory, how He manifests that, where, we're, where, we, where we might be heavy-footed and uh, in, in how we think about, well, my whole life is all about giving glory to God. We could ask ourselves that question, you know, is that really for His glory or is it for yours? So, um, anyways, it's making some sense there of what's on your handout. Um, we'll, we'll refer to those Psalms and, and that passage in Isaiah as we go throughout um, the day here. So, what I want to look at first as we come back to this wonderful diagram, um, if you've just been joining us, you're about to learn everything that we've been talking about over the past uh, 10 weeks in one diagram. That as we look at the solas, right, uh, Scripture alone, Grace, faith, and Christ alone. This is the Cairo. I thought we should learn some Greek today, so I just did that. And um, we're the better for it now. Okay, All of those, um, you don't want to elevate one above the other, but it seems that the glory of God is the the glue that holds them all together. And one of the things we've been saying is that as we go through and we talk about Scripture alone, is this the sole authority or does the Pope have authority too? Well, Scripture alone gives glory to who? God alone, right? When we talk about grace alone, salvation, right? Uh, did I do something to merit, merit that? If I did, then I get to take some of that glory. If it's grace alone, then it goes to God alone. Faith alone, Christ alone, same thing. Last week we talked about, talked about the work of Christ. All right, so his, his person and His work and what He's doing is what merits my salvation. It's not even my faith in Him. Because faith then can become a work. That's the agent, right? So all this stuff, the litmus test is, is it all going in this direction of bringing glory to God, or is it somehow going out and bringing glory to man or bringing glory to yourself? So that's what we mean when we say that the glory of God is the, um, the glue that pulls all of these together. Um, so let, let's, let's look at this from the lens of our Reformers, Luther and Calvin. And you'll see there on your handout, uh, the first, first question we're going to look at is, how did the Reformers think about God's glory? And, and Luther, uh, we'll start with him first. Luther, uh, some of you may know this, may not know this. Um, Luther was opposed to the phrase, the glory of God. Uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't like it. Um, this theology of glory that he called it. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to change it to the theology of the cross. Why did Luther reject a theology of glory, you might ask? Well, Luther objected to it not to divert attention away from God's glory, but to talk about how God manifests his glory. Luther was concerned that people were seeking to know God in the wrong ways. Now, you can think about that if you put on your 16th century hats and you think about what is going on here in the Reformation and, and how the Catholic Church, the, you know, the universal church, all that's happening, right? All the distortions, all the, um, you know, who has the authority here, the Pope? Is he, you know, just as authoritative as Scripture? Um, how does salvation 
come about? Uh, do we just have to put money in the bucket again? And then we get to, you know, the Pope will, you know, spring some of our ancestors free. That, all that muddied water distortion, all that heresy, right? this is the context which he's thinking about this stuff. And in this, he's thinking about this idea of a theology of glory versus a theology of the cross. And in that context, why would he not like the idea of a theology of glory? And you can begin to see it and how people would think that they could go and observe and know God and, and, and kind of peek into this uh, you know, glory of God, as, as it were, um, with all their robes and all their high thinking and intellectualism. And he really pushed back against some of that as he looked at the clergy, as he looked at the church, thinking they could, by reason, climb the ladder, so to speak, and peer into um, you know, the holy of holies, if you will, and somehow be able to pull and, and discern the glory of God, um, this, is, this was his concern, because this is what he saw. And so you kind of have to paint that a little bit. Um, you know, remember, we don't have, the, at this point, well, during the Reformation, we don't have uh, the Bible printed in the vernacular of the people. You know, your scriptures, they don't have iPhones, right? We can't open up to wherever we want to open it up to. And so uh, this idea of God's glory was a very, very high, um, high concept, and it just seemed to go with uh, those who are, you know, more intellectually capable, those who are in holier places. Those are the ones who get to go in and view and understand and know this God and therefore know his glory. All right. Why then is Luther so fixated on changing that to a theology of the cross? As it pertains to God's glory. Because as we looked at last Sunday and Easter, where does God's glory come from? Where do we see His glory most represented? In suffering. In the cross. Okay? So his, his, whole, his whole point is, how are people uh, going to understand God's glory? How are people going to go about wanting to or, 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 or looking at seeing God's glory, is it going to be through this idea of, of just obtaining this knowledge yourself through reason, or is it going to be actually going to Scripture itself and opening the pages and seeing how we don't bring anything to this? And when we compare ourselves to, um, to what Scripture is saying about us, we realize that God has to come in and show Himself to us, which is, you know, we've got a lot of, a lot of Reformation theology here, um, but when he does that, when Scripture shows us himself, how is God manifesting his glory throughout Scripture? It's in his suffering. It's ultimately shown to us in the cross of Jesus. And that, for, for Luther, was, was so important in that time, in this time and age, to, present, to begin to presenting to people for how God not just displays his glory, but for how we understand his glory as well. And I think that we can begin to see how refreshing this would be to people who, you know, weren't part of the ecclesiastical system, people who felt like they were marginalized and shut out, people who understand what? <laughs> Suffering. That this is also how your Savior related to, to, to you too, but this is how you, you can actually get to know Him even better through your own suffering. Okay? It's a huge, huge, huge topic here, but this was Luther's bend, and he was adamant about this, and, um, and he goes on to say, he says, you know, how does the theology of the cross change this for Luther? For Luther, this explains how God manifests his glory. 
explains how we come to know God and His glory. That when we open the Scriptures, we see God inviting us to know Him as the one who comes to earth to be beaten, mocked, and crucified. In other words, much of how we come to understand God's glory in the Bible is through His own suffering. And Luther says it does him, does him, the theologian, no good to recognize God in His glory and majesty unless he recognizes Him in the humility and shame of the cross. Now, let me stop here for a second. You might be thinking, this sounds like church to me. And I think that it's, it's interesting for us to pause here for a moment and think about, you know, we may take that for granted because we've just had the privilege of being in a church that, that holds this theology, which, which is a, a church, maybe you know, we, we've had the privilege of, of being a part of churches that continue this theology. But this wasn't so back in the 16th century. Um, this is part of that groundwork that's being laid for uh, lots and lots of theological work to go throughout the years post-Reformation that we'll see here in a minute. By contrast, Luther describes the theology, the theologian, excuse me, of glory as he who does not know Christ does not know God hidden in suffering. Excuse me, as he who does not know Christ does not know God hidden in suffering. Therefore, he prefers works to suffering, glory to the cross, strength to weakness, wisdom to folly, and in general, good to evil. The theologian of the cross, in contrast, has been deflated and destroyed by suffering and evil until he knows that he is worthless and that his works are not his own, but God's. Okay? That's, that's Luther. It's pretty strong. All right, so let me ask you this. What were, you know, if we, if we go back, remember that, um, well, let me ask you this. I'll back up. How might this message be true for us today? How might the message of how we think about God's glory, a theology of glory versus a theology of the cross, how might that be um, uh, relevant today? Where in the church in America do we need more preaching on the theology of the cross versus a theology of glory? Can you see how, it can, how those threads are still visible in the church today? And if so, where? Okay, yeah, an easy one. Health and wealth, right? That, that God's glory is all about what? It's all about you being the best you that you can be. It's not about Him. It's about you. That He really exists only so that you can thrive, so that you can have whatever it is you want. Name it, claim it, right? We've all heard that stuff. That's a theology of glory in the, sense that, in, in, in the same way that Luther was fighting against that. Um, that, 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 and we'll go back to those terms, internal and external, that the, that the only part of God's glory that matters is his external glory, that of which, you know, which, which, which is displayed, which is for his creation and how his creation thrives underneath that and, 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 and in some ways doesn't even turn that back to him. So, yeah, that's an easy one. What else? You put on your modern thinking caps. I think this is part of this, um, the health and wealth. But, you know, we, we, we do sort of have a, an epidemic of narcissism. Well, I mean, that's what I hear. I don't know. You know? Um, yeah, as we kind of take our selfie, selfie right. And we're all sort of swimming in this a little bit. And some of us has up, have updated our Facebook statuses 18 times this morning. Or we have, you know, refiltered that picture on Instagram. And, boy... You know, we can love me some me, right? That's what narcissism is. 
And you can easily see how that lends itself to more of a theology of glory in the way that Luther talks about it, which is like we are that glory and it stop it ends and it begins here, <laughs> basically. As opposed to a theology of the cross, which leads us to suffering, which leads us to seeing glory um, through weakness, not strength, um, which leads us to uh, th- those types of things that, that the paradoxes of Scripture that we begin uh, to think about. So, um, I also looked at another one. You know, when we, when we dive deeper into this idea of, of of where God's glory comes from, how do we know it? Um, there's there's a lot more to be said about this, but consumerism versus you know self denial, I think too, you know, is something that's worth worth, worth talking about. Um, and and you know if if we if we really see ourselves as the as the beginning and end of God's glory, um, then and everything exists for us, everything revolves around us, and you know, the practice of denial, self denial, you know that 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 you know, I. I can say no to something good to me because there's something else over here that, that is far, far, more, far more deserving of my time and efforts, my energy, my resources, um, right? Um, so maybe, maybe we'll come back to that one uh, later, but I felt like that was, that was helpful to, to just begin kind of putting some of these. <clears throat> Brian, what about like a, like a legalism? Where sure. I've done all these great things on as bad as those are Christians. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and I think that comes back to you know you can put all these under under one of these headlines, right? But um, you know the, the the danger of legalism is uh, a robbing of robbing of God of His glory, um, and it's it's saying that that there is this legal system, like there's this law here that I can follow um, that's followable, and some people just aren't just don't have the strength to do it, just don't have the wherewithal, don't have the self control, but I do. And so I'm going to do that, and I'm going to maintain that, and I'm going to put everybody else in my family or in my friend circles under the burden of trying to do that. Um, and it looks, and it can look very pious, it can look very humble, it can look very, man, that's, that's really a man of God, or really a woman of, of, of God, someone who loves the Lord. But nothing can be more prideful, because as we continue to march down that road, um, who's receiving that glory, right? And even in our own, like, self you know, almost false humility. Well, it's really for the glory. I do these things for the glory of God. You can even say that. But if you put it down on paper, you really believe that the work that's going on to secure your salvation, to make you pleasing before the Lord, begins with you. And that would go back to Isaiah forty-eight eleven. I will not yield my glory to another. So... All right, so let's let's move away from Luther because uh, one of the things that I remember a seminary professor saying uh, as we were studying Reformation history and uh, and this kind of stuff is, and this is a great way to think about God and His providence throughout church history too, is He brings people into different seasons and, and roles throughout life. And Luther uh, is described as you know just coming through the forest of the Reformation and just cutting down trees left and right to clear this pathway. Uh, that had been so overgrown and, and abandoned, um, which is the pathway of orthodoxy, the pathway of the church. And so in many ways, as you listen to his quotes, as you read his writing, you can hear the brashness of his theology. You know, it is very black and white to many degree, in, in many ways. And, so, and, and, and this is an area where we want to be black and white, but in some of the working, the details of how that's worked out, it gets 
kind of fuzzy when you begin to dive into Luther, and, and there's some things that he says that you're not sure you even want to <laughs> associate with, you know. Um, things like, should James even be a book in the Bible, right? Um, had some really interesting things to say about Jews themselves. Um, so, you know, still human. But think about him as the guy that's coming through and cutting down all of these trees and clearing this way. And then um, the way that we think about John Calvin as he comes later, is, is Calvin is the one that goes in and carefully takes out all the stumps for us. And it's one of the reasons why people are more drawn to Calvin, because not only is he brilliant, and Luther was too, but he really kind of takes that next level for us of, of working out this theology that we have. And I also you know, want to say this as we will move to John Calvin, his divine glory versus human glory, that it, this was helpful for me to think about. You, know, you have this Reformation... You have this huge, you know, just you know, God acting in history through the church to call his church back to these wonderful things. What did the church do after this was over? You know, was it just sort of like, all right, we did it, it's great, you know. And in, in part of what the church did is what the church is still doing today is we're still trying to work all this out. Like, this is not all sewed up. <laughs> You know, this isn't, I mean, we, we understand what these doctrines mean. We have them written down, but we are still working to figure them out practically, the implications of them. I mean, we're talking about the glory of God, which is a subject we'll never, ever plummet the depths of, let alone all these things. We have the big major billboards of what they say, but the church has spent centuries now working this out. And we'll see that here as we, we move on from Calvin. But I want to go to Calvin because he brings us to a part of the story that is so fam- not just familiar, I mean, hopefully familiar, but it's so good for us as we move on in this discussion. So as we do that, here's the question. Does Luther's theology of the cross and his emphasis on God's glory and God's glory alone, does it demean human beings? I mean, we just read, um, you know, that he says that, def- that, that he says that the theologian of the cross has been deflated and destroyed by suffering and evil until he knows that he is worthless and that his works are not his, but God's alone. You know? So does Luther's theology of the cross, is, is, is this emphasis on God's glory and God's glory alone, does it demean you and I? Does it demean the, uh, you know, human beings? And I think that might be a question you have here. Is, whoa, 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 when I listen to Luther, it sounds like I'm not a part of this at all. I don't do anything. You know? It's like you can no longer write John 3.16 underneath your eyes and go play football if you're... A follower of Luther, you know, just don't don't do anything. Um, a Tebow shout out, okay. So so w- w- where do we go with this? And this is where Calvin is so good. And Calvin comes up, and these are all, all out of his institutes. Uh, he recognizes that there is this an, an internal divine glory of who God is, and that he can't be anything other than that. Uh, but there's also this human glory that we see him talk about throughout Scripture, that we see um, both in the beginning of Genesis as humans are made an image of God, that we represent God in, in certain ways and therefore reflect his glory um, that is so, so helpful. Um, Calvin came along and noted two important things about God's glory. One, God's glory does, o- does only come from himself. No question about it. But two, God seems pleased to glorify himself through the glorification of his human creation. So this kind of answers that trick question from the beginning. Uh, yeah, God's glory only comes from himself, but he does seem pleased and, and he does, has designed it that his glory would be reflected 
uh, through his creation. I think one of the best ways to, 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 to illustrate this is if some of you all went down to the Main Street Art Festival this, this weekend, you, know, you see countless pieces of art, and you know, perhaps there was one that caught your eye, you know, or maybe you're at the Kimball or somewhere else. But something catches your eye, and you're just sort of enamored with it, and maybe you'd even take a picture of it, which you probably shouldn't do. You send it to a friend, or you maybe you buy it. I don't know. Okay, so in that moment, who, who is being glorified? Who, who is receiving the glory, or, or where is the glory in that moment going? Is it in yourself because you are the enlightened one to recognize good art when you see it? Uh, that you are able to uh, appreciate the finer things in this world? You know, or is it the real artist that's sitting over in the chair just like, well, somebody just please buy something. You know, just buy, you know, right? But with artwork, it's, it, it's, it doesn't matter how, what, what you say about it, how much you love it, all of that is re- reflected back to the artist himself. Um, that is the same way with God as well, that, that, that as glory radiates from himself, that is who he is internally, um, his creation is a display of that glory. It's a manifestation of it. Um, and you know, even from the beginning, as we were called to be fruitful and multiply, the, the picture there is that, is that, we, that, that what? we would move beyond the garden, that, that the, the creation would cover this world, and we would, we would you know, care for it, and we would, we would, we would love it. We would, you know, we would mow the grass and plant flowers and make sure the cut seed didn't take over everything. And, and as we did that, just think about how pretty it is that, that that image would be. Think about how pretty it is when you go into uh, well-kept gardens or, um, you know, uh, the, the botanical garden, maybe, you know, whatever, when it's in season. And just people have really done great care of, of creating space for other plants to grow and thrive and not choke out everything else. All right, what's going on there? That is God's plan of, of having his glory spread the entire globe. That's what that is. <clears throat> and so, in that way, when that happens, all of that gets reflected back to Him. And that's part of what this is about, okay? Um, so, in that sense, are human beings demeaned by the, uh, um, by the confession of glory to God alone? Absolutely not. Um, but it starts with Him. And that's where we come back to how the internal glory of God must be the foundation for how we speak about the external glory, about how we play a role in that. Um, God makes us instruments for glorifying himself. We, we talk about the chief end of man according to the Westminster Shorter and Larger Catechism, and that is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Calvin goes on, and I'm going to try to run through here in about three minutes so we can have some questions, but talk about natural glory and special glory. And those are really just, again, terms that natural glory is his creation, special glory it's kind of how he reveals himself to us, that we begin to know him because he revealed himself to us. Similar in vain are the theological terms, natural revelation, which we might be familiar with, like Psalm 19, how creation itself declares uh, you know, the presence and the reality and, and the praises of God himself, that, that, that man cannot walk out into this creation and not have some type of awareness that this came from some place. That's natural revelation. But specific or special revelation is how God regenerates the heart of, of human beings. And in, some way, in similar ways, Calvin's talking about that with his natural glory and special glory. 
Um, <clears throat> so as we move along here, salvation by Christ alone, through grace alone, by faith alone, means that all glory goes to God alone. And far from demeaning us, this marvelous display of divine glory enables us to fulfill our, even our highest calling. So um, I'm going to run through many of these other theologians uh, of, of the, um, the four, four or five hundred years now that have gone in the time that, 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 that has gone on. Uh, but you basically have a list there from Bach to Piper. And Johann Sebastian Bach uh, was really the one credited, we should give him the one the, the credit for the phrase, all I do, I do for the glory of God. Because Bach would actually sign his initials to his work in that way, and, and that was the way he thought about his music, and that he was returning glory to God um, by, by making the best of what it was that he could do. And in this case, his music. And he did pretty good. I think he did pretty good. Um, Piper... Uh, this is a beautiful, I think I put it on your handout, beautiful phrasing here. Channeling Jonathan Edwards, who's just a giant in this subject for us. Um, again, God's providence, raising up these men and, and, and these women and, and the church itself to work this stuff out. Um, but uh, in his treatise, The End of Which God Created the World, says the rejoicing of all peoples in God and the magnifying of God's glory are, are one end, not two. Uh, the exhibition of God's glory and the deepest joy of human souls are one thing. That might be a phrase, that, that, that might be something that, you know, you just bathed in your entire life. Um, that, that, you know, you don't really know Christianity or how to think about God's glory other than that. And I would just say how fun it, and interesting it is to recognize that that is 500 years of working out <laughs> some pretty serious events and pretty serious that's worth dying for to understand that about God's glory that Piper himself is standing on the shoulders of Jonathan Edwards is standing on the shoulders of, of Calvin and then Luther and all these guys who were standing on other people's shoulders again you see the marvelous work of God in his church throughout time and history but all he's doing is talking about God's glory in the way that Luther and Calvin you know, redirected us and talked to, you know, t- talked about it uh, so much more to say here. Let's end this um, by saying that, um, what, uh, well, another contemporary way that we've been talking about God's glory is biblical theology. Um, and that's just, you've heard that phrase before, I just want to highlight it. It's just looking at the story of Scripture and seeing how all of God's story is about Himself and about bringing glory to Himself. And... Um, <clears throat> One theologian, uh, G.K. Beale, writes this. He says, I contend that the goal of the New Testament storyline is God's glory and that the main stepping stone to that goal is Christ's establishment of an eschatological, that's in time, uh, new creational kingdom and its expansion. Uh, in other words, God's glory, not our own, is Scripture's ultimate end. So yes, God allows us to participate in that by being reflectors of His glory, by manifesting His glory as we do uh, as, as we do here in life, but are we content to say that all glory belongs to God and not ourselves? And that's the question I want to leave you with before we head out. Are you content, or are we content to say that all glory belongs to God and not to ourselves? Are we content to say that salvation is by Christ alone, that it's His work, not ours? Are we content to say that it is through, glory, through grace alone, that we don't earn this or deserve it, If we do, then all glory doesn't belong to God. Or be content to say that it's by faith alone, and this is a gift of God so that no one may boast. If your faith is in some, if your faith is something you initiated and discovered, 
God as a consequence, uh, then that is your theology of glory, not God's. And it very seldom leads to a theology of, a, of the cross where suffering is the veil through which we see God the clearest. And, and here's what I, what I would say about those things. You know, This is not a one-time thing. Like, okay, I subscribe to this. I get it. So therefore, I'm okay with saying that all glory belongs to God and not to myself. This is a daily working out, a daily battle of these things because I'm constantly wanting to, to, to come back in here do this right here, and then, oh, you know, what's the difference, right? What's the difference? This is glory of Ryan. Because, I mean, I'm created by God, so everything I'm going to do, it just goes back to him, right? And your, your life as a Christian is constantly coming back, and we call this faith and repentance, and remembering what's at the center here, what this is all about, what Scripture is all about, what my faith is all about, what grace is all about, what Christ's work is all about. It's about His glory, not mine. So, I think it's helpful for us to end here at this point to ask ourselves that. Are we really content with that? And are we aware of the internal struggle, struggle that our pride has with that? And can we empathize with people who, you know, maybe aren't there yet? And I, I hesitate to put it like that because am I there yet? But, you know, there, our friends, our theological friends that don't, believe in this stuff, that's okay. Are we, are we, can we empathize, though, with that struggle? Like, I really want to have a hold on this. I really want to be more involved in this than I think that I am. Can we pray for those people, and can we be patient with those people and not take our theology as a weapon and just hammer people with it? And be like, you, you, know, you should know this. Do you read your Bible? <laughs> you know. Um, <clears throat> Romans 8, whatever. Yeah. So I just commend that to you all. I think this is so refreshing for me to revisit, no matter how many times I get to revisit this, um, but to be redirected back to what this is all about is a daily, daily devotion, a daily, daily struggle, um, but a worthy one. So we've got one minute. Questions? Comments? We'd love any feedback, suggestions? Sure. I'm sorry? Oh, did I leave that on the handout? I should have put that out. Yeah. In other words, just shorthand. Who wants to write out in other, hand, in other words, you know? So just put, I should I must not have. Yeah, John. I appreciate a, a, a word from you about this issue of trying to, of stepping in front of God's glory. Because I think that for people up front in the church a lot, it's particularly pernicious. Because you want people to tell you what a great sermon it was. And, you know, you oh. just thirst for that kind of thing. And it's, it's really wicked. Yeah. Oh, it's the worst. It's always around you, you know? Yeah, those people that want praise from their sermons, I mean, they're the worst. <laughs> but no, yeah. No, I, I, y'all, the more you get to know me, you, I think I'm pretty transparent about this, but there's nothing about me that I'm not trying to, like, stick my foot in and try to get some of that, that glory, you know. And, you know, um, it's just that double-edged sword of, you know, in, in all of our talents and gifts and works, what we do for a living like, we want that praise. We want that devotion. Um, and then there's just that double-sidedness of, okay, wait, wait. When we repent of that pride, when we repent, repent of that, you know, wanting that glory, um, you know, and, and let, me, let, me, let me reset this and return to what this is about in the first place. Thank the Lord for the gifts He's given you and that it actually communicated to people or that it, that it made a product that satisfied somebody uh, in a way that, that, you know, otherwise it wouldn't. Um, 
Yeah, good, good point, John. Thank you. you know anything else? Yeah. But that was Jesus' goal, wasn't it? To make them one. Because we're one. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all of that didn't matter. It was make them like us. With the glory you gave me, let me extend that to them. Yeah. So that's what we're working on. Um, I don't mean working in the country, but uh, being able to understand these things from the Word of God, to be able to take us higher, to leave the natural man, the fleshly man behind, and to see more of the revelation of Jesus through us. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. <laughs> but, um, uh, what occurred to me is, um, even though we can, we're, God can glorify Himself through us, and we can do things for His glory. We're not necessarily adding to His glory. Yes. What would you say to that? Yeah. There's. I, I didn't read this quote that was from. Here's what um, this guy named um, Edward Lee says on this subject. Um, he says, he said, we have to be careful to ground any external glory, how we glorify God through knowing Him, obedience, loving others, worship, praising Him, and God's internal glory, something we've been saying. And he says this, that we glorify God not by putting any excellency into Him, which is a, another way of saying that, but by taking notice of His excellency and esteeming Him accordingly and making manifest this our high esteem of him, of him, and to put this in application, this is to labor to partake, to God, labor to partake of God's image, that we might be partakers of His glory. All right. What that means is that we are not adding anything to Him. Right. Uh, we're not putting any more glory into His being by doing what we're doing. We're esteeming Him for who He is. We're recognizing where that comes from. And, we're, and, and, and when we do that, we actually begin to become partakers of that glory, not because we are originating it or we are making more of it. We're functioning as God has created us to function as his people in, in, in that oneness. You know, when, we, when we are glorified, right, there's going to be this amazing freedom um, that there isn't anything that you can't do now that doesn't perfectly return glory to the Father, Right? That's a big statement. I think about like today how much energy maybe goes into or even shame and guilt that you feel because the things that you do say, uh, your motives, like you know they don't return glory in the way that they were intended to return glory and actually rob him of it. But there's coming a day when, when, when that all works perfectly. And we're not adding any more to it. We're just functioning as we're created to function in the way that he uh, is glory but also manifests that through his creation. Um, I don't know if that war- makes it more muddy, but I think what you're saying there as far as giving him more glory is not, like, isn't, yeah, that's not, that, did, I, did I answer that clear? Okay, okay. <laughs> we do not give him more glory in the sense that, you know, we don't put it into him, you know, is the way that phrase is. It's, he, he's just there. Yeah. I just think that the great summing it up is, or we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. To do good work. good works. Mm-hmm. 
but remembering he prepared them before. That's a that yeah. walking. I think that's like every day I come back to that. Amen to David for just summarizing a whole 45 minutes of, of blah, 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 blah. Let me pray for us. Thank you for that. And we'll go into worship. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for just uh, the privilege that we have to come to a classroom and talk about something as enormous as your glory, uh, something as um, dangerous even. And yet uh, you delight in the fact that we get to, um, as your church, um, Look at these doctrines and look at your scripture and look at what this means and how, uh, how we understand ourselves better because of it and how we understand you, more importantly, better because of it. And so while this is a small piece of beginning to lay the groundwork for this topic, would you uh, carry us throughout the rest of this day and, of course, the rest of our lives uh, working to understand how we return glory to you properly? but also understanding that it is your glory alone that all of this fits together and all this works towards. So whether we are eating or drinking or sleeping, all of that uh, in some way functions to bring glory back to you. Um, And we receive the joy that you had designed to give us uh, when we are uh, working and living in in, in that way. Um, We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Ben will follow up. So to bring all your questions to, uh, next week for Ben, um, I will not be here, sadly. It's next week.